Are you conscious of your addiction? Refuse to be defined by it? Not satisfied with living your life on the surface? Are you drawn to deeper meaning and purpose? And believe that it's possible to grow through your addiction to experience true freedom? Well, welcome home. Share the journey from addiction to freedom with your host, Michael Gregory. Well, welcome to another episode of From Addiction to Freedom. I'm here with a very special friend of a friend. His name is Patrick Murphy, and he's actually been a really avid listener uh, engaging with the, the, the Addiction to Freedom podcast and YouTube from almost the beginning, I think. And, um, and so I was kind of interested to bring him into the show and, and have a chat because he's also a really interesting guy. And, and we've really talked about some, some fascinating topics. You know, very quickly we, we started talking about emotions and, and what they are, and then, we, and then we very quickly moved into who is experiencing that emotion, who's, who's observing that, who we are, what we are, and then, um, and, then we, and then we kept on weaving backwards and forwards around that, talking about different aspects of life and, um, and freedom and what freedom really means. So I really encourage you to listen to this episode and I think you, you'll get quite a lot out of it. I certainly did and Pat said he did as well. So, so welcome again and, and um, thanks, Pat, for being here. Well, we're here with Patrick Murphy. He's actually a guest of, well, and, and kind of an, an avid follower of the Addiction to Freedom podcast and YouTube channel. And he also happens to be a very good friend of a very good friend of mine. And, you know, how birds of a feather flock together. You know, we, we've, we've, we've met up a few times. We've had some interesting conversations. So when, I don't know how the idea came along, but thought it might be interesting just to talk, just to have a bit of an episode talking to Pat. So welcome, Pat. Good morning, Michael. Yeah, so it's morning for you. No, no, it's evening for me, morning for you. Yeah. Morning for me and evening for you. That's right, because we're in different time zones, but even though we've got the same accent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited for the opportunity, Michael. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, so am I, actually. And I was going to ask you, you know, what I was wondering, you know, curious, really, in a way, you know, what you found engaging about the, the podcast and YouTube, Addiction to Freedom. Well, the friend of a friend recommended that I listen to you and he has done for a long time. He also recommended that I buy Ada and I did, I ignored that as well in the early days. <laughs> but um, he, uh, so he recommended it because I've been on a quest for the definition of freedom for some time and asking myself what it means, what does it mean to be free? So in my exploration of that, of course, I, I had to listen to your podcast and see where you're coming from. And, um, and I've enjoyed it a lot. It's been very good. Thank you. Oh, welcome. It's really, it's just kind of, um, in a way, an exploration for my journey as well as, you know, just getting learning and, and uh, meeting people who are on the same similar journey or, you know. I pigeonholed you, do you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I've identified oh, you. Yeah. I've identified you as a stoic existentialist. Ah. <laughs> <Stoic>. Yeah. <laughs> Help me unpack that for those people that don't know what stoicism or the stoics are. Well, we often. Existentialism, right? So we often, yeah. with the stoics, we often confuse the word stoicism with being emotionless and resilient. And certainly resilience is part of stoicism, but the the emotionless is more, in a stoic sense, is, is about rational emotions. So existentialism, of course, is about existence is this reality that, you know, that, that things are, it's an understanding of existence. You know, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I, could, I couldn't give you the definition. I could Google it. But yeah. uh, to go, you you trained as a philosopher, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't go heavily into the existentialists, but I'm kind of aware aware of that kind of paradigm, I suppose. R- reality is here, and we make up meanings about what it is. You know, it's like 
ancient, ancient us looking at geese flying across the sky and an event happens and we say, radio, those geese mean that happens. So the next time geese go across the sky, we base our future decisions around the thing happening that those geese signify. And so we take the same action when the same event, events occur unless we can make a brain a break in that chain of reasoning. And then unless we find that geese always go that direction at this time of year. They may have at one stage when we were three-year-old, but if we make the decisions of an adult based on the stimulus response that we developed as a three-year-old, we're not going to be successful <laughs> adults. <laughs> yeah. Well that, well, that right there is a big can of worms, isn't it? Because, you know, if we talk about freedom and making decisions based on our three-year-old program. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and Stoic is a very practical living philosophy. So then that's something that I don't know a lot about, even though I studied the Greeks a little bit, but not necessarily Stoicism. So when you said rational emotions, what did you mean by that? Okay, so will the emotion serve you? Will the emotion accomplish your goals? Is it good? You know, or will it lead to... In, in irrational situation that you don't want. So, you know, you would know is Seneca. Did you, Seneca? Uh, Marcus well, Aurelius? I haven't studied a lot of, a lot of him, but, yeah. I, I have I'm so little... surprised, Michael. Your education is lacking. I thought you were a classically educated man. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've become more okay with, with being ignorant <laughs> because there's so, there's so much to know, isn't there, in terms of facts and and figures and all that sort of stuff. And I guess you can approach it in what you do as tabula rasa, you know, you know, as a, as a blank yeah. slate. Yeah, well, I don't, I mean, if, if, we, if our three-year-old brain is operating, then whether or not we started with a blank slate, we, we, it's hard to know. In terms of, our, in terms of our, our mind stream, in terms of our, but, um, but rather, than, rather than getting into that, I'm kind of interested in just emotions in general, you know, like about irrational emotions or irrational emotions, like emotions that don't serve us. But even emotions themselves, what are they, if you know what I mean? Because uh, you know, we all kind of live with them. And, um, I mean, at the moment I'm, I kind of view e emotions as this kind of complex that, that arises you know, in a situation, and I think a lot of it, a lot of it has fight or flight involved. Oh, yeah, I would you know, agree. For with example, that. so things like fear, anger. I wouldn't say sadness so much, but but fear and anger, you know, they just in a way arise when there's a situation that that's kind of threatening, perhaps, or uh, something that that we. We don't want to happen. Well, that's pretty interesting. And, yeah, would you say that uh, that managing your fear and anger is a key to freedom? Well, in the sense that those that phenomena, that experience, causes you to take actions that you may like that are kind of not necessarily something that you've freely chosen. They you can end up reacting, so to speak. Say that that is a lack of freedom if you're if you if you're not able to clearly see the whole situation and then choose. Well, I have a have a have a you know. Let's say when we say choosing in that situation, I would say like a direct immediate response to the whole situation, whereas anger tends to put a filter on, and so do the other emotions almost. But if we break it down before. Anger's a sharp sword. Yeah, yeah, it could be a, actually a very, you know, you know, a big baton that just it's just smashes everything. But but if I think about emotions, I think well, often say so there's a situation, and then there's some kind of you know, situation occurring around us. Let's say some kind of thought about what that is, whether that's you know what does that mean, kind of thing. And then this feeling arises. Then this feeling arises, and 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 depending on 
what we think that means. And, and often that can, you know, so where we get into trouble there is when we, the meaning that we, that we take it to be cannot, can be conditioned by something that's not part of the situation, something, a memory or situation in the past, particularly if the subconscious has programmed fight or flight to react to a certain word or tone of voice or perspective threat or whatever and then and then we're not we're not actually react we're not actually responding to the whole we're responding to whatever is reacting in us from the past or even in, in the present situation so i think that happens with uh, most of the emotions well but although sadness is a different one isn't it because sadness is a difficult one like you know and part of the base is what I think you're pointing to is that is that there's always an initial interpretation of what will trigger happiness, what will trigger sadness, what 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 are the triggers, and how do we, as thinking creatures, how do we associate events with the emotional response? And so it has to be. A lot of them are very ancient parts of our brain. The monkey brain, you know, active. The lizard brain, you know. Yeah. So, and who's observing me being happy? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And and is the me what me is 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 experiencing that emotion? What what me is is the one that the emotion is is trying to come from or about? You know, let's say the anger. It's about, you know, some kind of protect, you know, threat, dealing with some threat to me or, or you know, some, something that's gone wrong that we, this, this anger feeling arises. What me is that that's, that that's all about? The anger is about. So there's that me and then, there, then there's the one, like you said, who's observing that occurring. I find this a very difficult concept to get my head around. I can't, I can't identify that at all and I struggle with it. It comes to me and slips away and it's such an intangible separation. Mm-hmm. Well, who's, exper- who's experiencing and who's observing and which, which me is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, there's a really simple exercise actually that I think that we could try. <laughs> sure, why not? Um, yeah. So what if you were to just to feel like inside the middle of your head right now, now just with your feeling sense, yeah, right right in the centre, right, right in the centre, just feel in there with your feeling sense. And so in a sense the focus of your attention is, in the, is feeling, feeling, feeling in the middle of your head. So what are you feeling? Nothing. <laughs> okay, keep feeling that. Okay, so now keep feeling that. Is there any stress there? No, not really. I mean, there's there's a sense of something that I, I find hard to define. I mean, I would say there's a like it feels a there's a solid a feel a feel a solid feel, uh, but it's spacious. <laughs> But I might be making that up because I'm searching for it. Maybe I'm looking to create what I think I should be finding. Well, just feel feel what you can feel. Like, like just feel what you can feel. So, if there's a sensation, right? It's best if your eyes are open, because otherwise the imagination comes in. So, if there is a sensation, is there a sensation in the middle of your head or not? No, no. So the sensation, if there was one, would be part. It'd be a different part of the head. It'd be the external more. But the internal, generally speaking, there's generally blank. Yeah, well, there is it is there is a blank, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the blank while we still experience it. So does that blank have any edges? Where are they? Where's the edge? I guess it's in my imagination, but it feels as though it's in my head. It feels it feels cubic. Well, if you so, that's where your imagination is coming in now. 
But if you were just to go back to the feeling sense, purely the feeling sense, and feel that blank, just while you're feeling the blank, is there any edges to it? No. No. And is there any difference between here and there? Is there any centre to it? Well, I, I feel as though there is, but I suspect that's my imagination again. I feel as though the centre... Yeah, the centre... Yeah. So it feels as though the centre is starting where I'm looking to focus in the middle of my head. Yeah. And it just... Yeah, but if you try and find the edges... Yeah, no, they go beyond. The more you do that, the more you realise there's no centre. Yeah. Yeah. And is it peaceful? Sort of nothing. Like yeah. it's, yeah, it's peaceful, but stilling the mind to feel it, uh, you know, is, is maybe is the peace, you know, because to, to feel it, I need to still my mind, still the noise. Yeah, yeah. and there are thoughts there. Yeah, there are thoughts we're talking, there. there's thoughts, but, and the, but there's also things that we're hearing, seeing, and, other, and, 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 and all of that, but, but that's all still occurring. And if you think if there's no edges, or, sorry, if you feel if there's no edges, what's the difference between, you know, we have this concept that we stop where the body stops, but in, actual, but in this, feeling this, it doesn't really have any edges, does it? No. And when, we, when, we, when, we, when we're seeing, like now if you, if you can let go of the middle of your head a little bit but still stay with the feeling of that, so everything that we're seeing without looking at anything is really not separate from that. No, true. True. Um, and and then, if we, then if we ask where is me and we still keep feeling that, we still keep feeling that blank, yeah, well, there really is no me, is there? Well, it is. It is. It is, a, it is a construct, and that's what interested me about your podcast. Is that the construct that we we are the thoughts that we're addicted to? You know, and the thing that surprised me about you about about addicted to freedom was, you know, that the I thought it was going to be substances to start with, and but then to take it to that the conceptual basis for the reality that we create and the futures that we're always creating are based on the thoughts that we're addicted to. And that's the existential yeah. aspect, that we're addicted yeah. to them yeah. because they brought us results, known results, whether the results were good or bad, you know, but yeah. we're addicted to that as an identity. Yeah, yeah. And we always, we always our attention always wants to engage with the thoughts. Thoughts seem to create something solid out of the nothing. We go back to the nothing for a minute just to feel that that blank and then we ask the question, where am I? There is no I. And so, so then we say, well, what is there? And we can only apply certain, like we can't really describe it because we wouldn't, it's like chopping up something that isn't there. You can't. The concept is like a, a piece or a, or a snapshot of a particular aspect of phenomena, but there's nothing to snapshot. But you could say that I'm a, that, that, that there is awareness. You can say that about you know because but that again is a concept that we're applying to the nothing, to the blank, to the no me. So that's the, I can that's why I can understand why you said it's hard to get your head around who's viewing because there is no one. Yeah. And that's a weird. <laughs> and there's only reality to view. But if from the emotional point of view, you've got no I observing no me. Say that again? No, no I. You mean, the, you mean the constructed me being observed by nothing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that, 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 that kind of, the conceptual mind can't, doesn't have the apparatus to handle that. But the, the constructed me feels conscious. How do you, uh, I'm not, how do you mean that? How do you mean that? Well, who can say I am conscious? Like who can say I think therefore I am? Because, I mean, 
Like if, yeah. the, like, and maybe it just struck me that I think, therefore I am, that the Descartes was talking about, he was talking about I, not the constructed identity I, but he was exactly. talking about the observer I. Exactly, because in his letters, private letters, he describes that the experience of the cogito is, I think, therefore I am, he says that's more less of a logical syllogism like I think all human beings who think exist, all things that think exist, therefore I exist. He says less of that and more of a spontaneous realisation of, of, of his own existence. But he had to frame it for that period in history. He had to frame it like he was trying to find some mathematical certainty. He had to frame it in that, that, that kind of rational way for people to accept it. But the truth of it was really an immediate self-awareness of his, his own existence. And so for, for me, if I look at the constructed me, from the point of view of no me, then all of this, it's no different to all of this. It's all, you know, whatever we're seeing, feeling, touching, even the body, it's all just phenomena and not, not just, but it is phenomena at play, including the complex called Michael, which is really just a set of memories, likes and dislikes, yeah, addictions, yeah, addictions to thought, to, you know, to, to not this, to want pleasure, to, to not want pain and all that kind of stuff and all that's going on in this, you know, as, as so-called me, but really it's just part of the flow. It's like another river flowing in the me that is ever-present as, as no thing. So when you work with addictions, because I know that you're a specialist and have for a long time worked with people who who have addictions. Do you work on the constructed addictions? Is that a deliberate thing to separate out the two identities so that you can manage and plan the future of the constructed identity? Well, that'd be really interesting to do that consciously. But actually, what what I do generally is is not talk about that. More, more like I just use that, what we just did then, a version of that technique as a step in a more prescribed way to eliminate cravings Cause, because because there is no craving there, right? Mm. Like there, you try it when you walk, when you next have a craving and you do that and there'll be no craving. So I simply use that to help people get rid of the craving and then... Also, then what happens is um, there's a fight or flight reaction, right, that often occurs when a craving occurs. So you have to repeat and repeat, in, and, and there's a, a sort of a set step-by-step process where you can retrain the subconscious not to generate the fight or flight when that, that craving occurs because the craving is perceived as, the, as a signal for future danger. So you use the technique, eliminate the craving, oh, there's no future danger. So then fight or flight has to disappear because it's no longer necessary. But that has to be retrained and retrained and retrained until the subconscious no longer generates fight or flight and cravings don't automatically get generated. But the thing about that is that you can you can apply this to anything. Like, for example, anger. Next time anger arises, when you if you observe the truth of what we are, then there can be sensations in the body that might be normally associated with anger, but they're just sensations. There can be thoughts. But if you're observing from the point of view of what we are, there's no, they don't have any power anymore. They're just floating th- thoughts and all the power is taken out of it and, and then it dissipates. So the snowball, the fire is not, recreating itself and it just all dissipates and the more that that happens i was just going to say sorry the more that that happens the more that like the whole system settles down and stops generating all of this bluster around the constructed me the constructed me starts to 
become a bit more transparent and resonating of the nature of what we really are. The nature of what we really are. Well, in the sense of, in the sense of what, like when we were experiencing, that, like where am I? And there's no me. So that is the constant. Yeah. All the other stuff is always changing. I, I look. I agree. You know, and because we're, to me, it seems that because we're creatures that don't really embrace change, part of our psychological risk management is that change is often danger and we're cautious around it that in in managing change we create those meanings that the process you just described redefines so we create a future not based on past experience and definitions and addictions we attempt over time to create a future free of those yeah exactly and yeah and interesting to talk about that because often what we do is we just create another another conceptual imaginary construct that's better than the previous one i like just in a way trading one conceptual emotional construct loosely put for another one and we constantly trying to better the one trying to get to a better and better one like we say oh you know when i retire it'll be better or when i go on holidays we better or when i get this new house and all of these are just within the realm of the con- the constructed me interacting with phenomena well it, it's interacting with itself really which is like it's necessary isn't it like we don't want to reconstruct this parental guidance warning kids at home <laughs> fire will still burn <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing, isn't it, that phenomena has patterning. You know, like that's the interesting thing that, you know, it's not as if when we say the constructed me, we can't say that it, you know, well, at least in my experience, it hasn't disappeared altogether. And you've made some I was just going to say, you've made some extraordinarily brave decisions recently. Yeah. Yeah, courageous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I th- what Pat's talking about is that I, um, I, I sold everything, and or I let some. There was, there was a few couple of things like you know the whiskey tumblers that that Mobsy gave me and things like that. I've lent those people are mining them for me, but just the sentimental things. But everything else I just sold, and I moved to the UK to start the stop smoking program in the uk brilliant um, so good i'm so i'm so pleased with your story well it's it's funny you know because it's just been a bit of a flow it hasn't hasn't i mean yes there's some you know lots of things to do but it's amazing how much of a flow it's been even though i've been preparing for it for a long time but um which kind of have has um, made me start to wonder about is there some kind of synchronizing of the you know phenomena you know are they these flows you know like flow of a whole culture flow of a family flow of uh, relationships flow of work flow of yourself <laughs> I I knew this guy once and he was the manager of a pasta restaurant and he had a theory and he'd done diagrams and put together a book about thoughts are broadcast at the earth from somewhere and 100,000 people will, oh, what was that? That was a thought and won't become <laughs> conscious of it. 100 people will think, oh, that's sort of interesting and he broke it down to like one or two will maybe activate that thought in the world. So he believed in the, you know, it's like the Jungian subconscious, but he believed it was being beamed in from outer space. Oh, okay. But I, I, I agree. Like the, the the subconscious is like I think that it, sometimes it feels as though it is a pool and there are waves. Yeah, yeah, and and archetypes could you know uh, in a way, you know, aspects of the the flow. Like you know, I think Jung kind of saw them as um, mo- motivating forces within the psyche 
like for for no, nobody anyone that doesn't know what archetypes are, uh, we're talking about psych. You know, the idea that the psyche has a structure, just like the hand has five fingers in general, that our subconscious and unconscious has structures, and these structures can be uh, visible in dreams or myths. For example, and and every movie, you know, uh, pretty much plays out, you know, the interactions of archetypes. For example, a hero going on a quest and to to save the world, you know, or you know, or there's the the mother and a father and a son and a lover and um, you know, and a shadow and all of these uh, archetypes, the sun, the moon. Yeah, so I, I think that the, I think that you're right there in, in the sense that they. I don't know about them beaming in from outside. I don't know. I just don't no, have no, yet. No, that was just a really interesting conversation to have, you know. And that he put the effort into it. It was so good, you know. Thinkers, yeah, why not? Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. Follow it. Follow it. To that's right. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna follow a track of thought, be committed to it. To its, you know, all the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we need more eccentrics, don't we? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think that, I mean, anyway, I don't think you, you can go wrong by finding a dead end. No, no. Well, because it's not a dead end. It's not a dead end it, because you, you, that now you've understood that bit and you realise, well, I'm going to go try a different way. Right, and, and you keep going with the flow, like you start the concept and you move with it and like buying a... A, a Toyota High Ace and having it fitted out with surfboards on the top, you start to notice a few on the. You start to notice a few on the road. You become more aware of, and more focused. My father called it his divine obsession. Well, all sorts of things. Like he's just a he's a crazy inventor, and he's done so well. You know, and like he is just got such an active mind and he would research so well and he he would come up with ideas and concepts and become obsessed by them and he would deliberately become obsessed and call it his divine obsession and I imagine mm-hmm. Thomas Edison was the same and I can think of mm-hmm. Thomas Edison's wife and my mum and Mrs Edison calling from the kitchen Thomas that light bulb's failed 9,000 times <laughs> will you stop it you know <laughs> When will you wake up to yourself? <laughs> no, I know. In a real job. <laughs> all of that. All of that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, interesting that he calls it his div- divine obsession, not just an obsession. So he's obviously thinking that his obsession is coming from. Oh, the muses are signing to him. <laughs> yeah. External or, you know, other than outside of him in a sense. Inspiration. Yeah, I know, right? It is interesting, but he was of a he was of a of a of a Catholic generation and Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich and How to Make Friends and Influence People were based in, you know, a Christian philosophy and so you know, so he yeah. saw he saw that as a as 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 in that sense the divinity that he understood to bring things in from the outside yeah. so that Again, like the rays of ideas being beamed in from outer space. Uh, he didn't look at the Jungian pool. He looked at where does this come from? Somewhere outside of mm-hmm. me, right? Because all of a sudden there's this concept and divinity. Yeah, well, so he, so you think that he was, that your friend was trying to explain the sudden appearance of ideas, like, oh, there's an idea, like a muse. And your father was talking about this divine inspiration in the sense perhaps try to explain where do these ideas come from maybe they come from a divine source you know it's like it's like like darwin's journey of the beagle you know when he put out uh, i think that 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 he and another guy were working on the same evolutionary theory at the same time you know that like these ideas they seem to arise people seem to have the same idea at the same time you know about the hundred monkeys Typing experiment? No, no. Where they taught these monkeys how to do something that they'd never done before. This troop of monkeys, and then a hundred kilometers away, another troop of monkeys suddenly started doing it. All oh, right, no, I didn't know. Yeah, and and that that you know, and I marry that up with 
I forget what the name of the experiment is in um, where they can you just split an atom and the particles spin off, and they'll and then one hits something and changes its direction of spin, and then the other one, no matter where, where in the world, will also change its direction of spin, which means that there's an instantaneous communication of... And no limits to it. Yeah, no limits to it. I realised that I need to, um, like in my power, I forgot to do that. Just one sec. All right. I'll entertain everybody in the meantime. <laughs> so that is something, you know, that I have kind of contemplated the idea that you know, well, where do ideas come from? Because when you talk, when you talk about the um, our, you know, let's say the who 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 is observing, who's present, well, ideas seem to arise within that. Everything seems to arise within that in the who that is present. If we experience it from the way that we were doing earlier. If we explore that, the more you, we explore that, there is nothing separate from that. And we, we, we're not – anything that's separate is really is – really, uh, like here and there is a concepts in direct experience of me, let's say, or, or nobody, let's say nobody, or, or, the, or the – nothing is separate from that because if – so, so then thoughts come – Thoughts come and say, well, yes, there is. There's the window there and there's me here. But that's just referring to, so, 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 so then this, that, that's referring to the separate, the, the body is a defined, you know, set of phenomena and the window is a defined set. And suddenly forgetting that none of that is, we're not, a, you know, none of that's a, 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 available to us if we weren't, we didn't have awareness of everything at once, of, of the window and me. And so in the sense, the window and me is arising by virtue of awareness, which is it's within awareness. And, and then thoughts are within awareness too. So is would you say then in with that understanding and if you think about you know, someone who reaches a level of enlightenment or consciousness or detachment that you and I might strive for but might, and might stumble across by accident, hopefully. But would you say that that is... Yeah. <laughs> would, would you say that that's like that that point in their existence and their concept of self is purely then the watcher, not the constructed eye? Is that where they get to? I I don't know. Yeah, I can only say I can only say where I'm at at the moment, or the so-called me, the so-called me. You know, the constructed me is just another phenomena, like this water bottle within awareness, and awareness. Who is aware? is nobody and who is aware doesn't have any boundaries right but um, the michael, is within that the michael gregory that is a physical construct in time and space is also a mental construct in time and space yeah it's yeah it's it, it can only that yeah and and well time and space are also being conceptual and not to say that it doesn't refer to something. Of course, it refers to something, but it, but it's very. Each of those are very limited because they have, they point to something. But if we start to say who is aware of that, and what is the nature of that that it's aware that who is aware, and it's not even a who, it's a nobody, it's an ever presence awareness. And that everything is occurring within that. I mean, and even to say that is then bringing in more concepts to say within, without. Definitions and meaning and language. Yeah. But mostly we, we don't even, we're not, we, don't, we don't allow ourselves to sit in nothing, let's say. We are always being engaged at, with, the, you know, 
the uh, awareness is always attached to phenomena and and our and, and phenomena also including concepts so it's concepts phenomena re- interacting with other phenomena and, and and always just it's like being inside the matrix and not being aware that there's a matrix and just mm-hmm. constantly constantly you know what going from one thing to another as opposed to con- allowing just uh, ourselves to realize for a sec hang on a minute they, who is aware here or what is aware here and then realizing nobody's aware there just is awareness and this awareness is not separate from anything and all of this other stuff inside let's say the matrix where we spend 99.9% of our time to try and find some kind of happiness or freedom and actually that freedom is already present in the very nature of the nobody that we are because in the in the, in the nobody that we are is ever is is, peace, is inherently peace i was going to say that's what like if you talk to people about what they really want i say i want to go on a holiday why do you want to go on a holiday? Oh, because I'm just so stressed at the moment and I just want to relax. So why do you want to relax? What is that? And then and then eventually you get down, you, you go down the rabbit hole and you realise, well, they just want to sit and do nothing. So so Miss um, South, South, South Africa 1974 was right when she said she just wants world peace. You know, that, that, that peace and the striving for peace is something that where oh, yeah. our, our culture hasn't accepted that as a valid rationale for, uh, as a valid goal, personal peace, world peace, global peace, peace to you, peace to me, it's it's not yeah. been something that's supported in our culture anyway. Yeah, and I think that kind of peace that she was referring to is all people's not having, not people having war. It was a bad joke. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But no, absolutely. <laughs> 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 hey, um, but what I'm wondering is, do you think that the nobody that I am, well, the nobody that watches my construct and yours, do you think that they they have individualities as nobodies? Well, I've been thinking about that actually recently because um, my sister died recently. I don't know if you know. My condolences. And- yeah, thanks. And and I was just wondering, you know, I've been talking with people about what part of us dies and what part of us continues. And because I've experienced being out of the body and still being aware, then that gives me evidence that we ex- can exist without the body. I don't know that story. Um, do your listeners know that story? Have you? I don't think you've mentioned it. Uh, no, I haven't ta- said talked about that. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure many people have experienced being out of their body, but I can t- tell it if you want. Well, if you want. Well, okay. I was out of a passion meditation course, and I was sitting there, and and it's a silent retreat. And, and I, this was the second time I'd been. I decided that I wasn't going to move during the meditation sessions because what happens is you get various pains in the body and they're not actually caused by your posture or anything. They're actually caused, they're caused by, they say, call them sankharas, you know, past aspects to do with the body-mind being released. And so I just decided, and I noticed, you know, that it, that as soon as if I'd be I'd be sitting there in in uh, in this having this pain, the same my head or my hip or something, and then as soon as the meditation stops, even though I hadn't actually moved, I opened my eyes, stopped meditating, boom, pain gone. So then I realised, well, the pain is not to do with any posture thing; it's simply the process. So I'm not going to move. Because normally you just move around all the time. You're doing this to try and be comfortable, and that's just a fallacy. So I decided not to move, and so I had this. So in this one session, I, I had all this pain, and it was just got more and more and more, and then suddenly, it was like, boom! I had 
all this energy going through my body like a stick man. If you draw a stick man, you know, the legs and the arms and the head, it was like there were lines like that going through and, and all of well, all of the pain just disappeared, Whew, gone, no pain. The eyes rolled upwards spontaneously and it was like I was looking out the top of my head and I saw this spiral about that thick of sparkly gold dust and it was a spiral that went, you know, it was going, it went around small and it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it went up. And my eyes were looking up, looking up at this and looking, noticing how it was spiralling up, getting bigger and bigger. And then my eyes rolled down and I suddenly looked down and I suddenly realised that I was above my body and I could see everybody else in the room. And, and then I had this intense fear like a fear that you've never, I've never experienced, intense fear, the fear of being out of the body, and then whoosh, back in the body. And then a real fear, a fear of meditating, right? So that's when I realised that awareness, the awareness that is so-called my awareness, that has a particular viewpoint, can exist without the body. So in that sense, so it wasn't the watcher, it wasn't the, the, the observing psyche that had that experience, it was the temporal psyche, the yeah. construct. Yeah, yeah, and it existed without, existed without, it could see without the eyes. So people that talk about, you know, being able to, you know, people that are blind, they can see, they can read with their third eye. Well, I totally believe that because I could see and it wasn't imaginary you know I could see the whole room and so so part of us can exist without the body and then you can also talk about you know other people who report these children who some children they you know basically say that you know, my name is not this when they're really, really young. Their name is that and, and that they can speak German and they look in books and they say, I used to fly that, that, that's my plane. I know that plane, I can fly that plane. And then they research all the details of this tiny child who can barely speak is saying, turns out that there was a person that existed in the Second World War that flew those planes that did these things that has a history and it has that name. And so if that's true, that re if reincarnation is true, then that means that certain that, that that child then had the certain memories carried on from a previous life. So that means, that, well, I think that I was debating this with Kavita actually, not debating, we were talking about it and we were saying, well, imagine if you could remember, you know, hundreds or thousands of, of memory, of life's memories. Like the Benny Gesserit. It Gesserit. would just be too much. <laughs> have, have you read It would be just way too much. Have you read Dune? Uh, Frank yeah, Herbert, yeah, 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 like the Bene Gesserit, yeah, yeah. yeah right, yeah, yeah. It's just be way too much, and the child would be so confused as to about how to be here now. Let's say, yeah, or not. Or maybe, oh. maybe with that memory, it just seems like a natural thing. Not like your experience, like moving out. There are lots of stories about accidentally leaving your temporal body and the realm of Cthulhu and, you know, the malevolent spirits that try to take your body like other entities that, you know, that in, 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 in common stories, it's a risky situation to put yourself in without training and knowledge. But um, the past lives, I think it's a, well, it's interesting, isn't it? What, what has traveled across because then that casts a, that makes, the construct and the observer, they're, they're not really separable, are they? Well, I, I, just thinking about it now. Beyond our, beyond our current understanding, I think, but it seems to me that, that they must have some relationship that binds them together, you know, maybe, maybe we're cleverer than we think we are, I don't know. Well, well I think about the observer and the, 
and the con constructed me being bound together. I think that that's, I have to say that that's true for, for the current awareness. But I think, you know, well, there are experiences where there is no me and there is no constructed me. So I've had experiences of that. Do you, do you know that some people don't have an internal dialogue? Like do you, do you, I, I have a voice that goes on my head that sometimes repeats phrases and talks to me and, and I talk back. And, but some people, I understand, do, do you have that voice that does that? Internal dialogue? Yeah. It's more like running different thought experiments. But it's a voice. Yeah. It uses your language. It, you know, I can do, can do the thing where I'll ask, write down a question and then I'll be able to write an answer and that answer will be seemingly coming from not me. But, and that seems like it seems like a, a voice, but that's the only circumstance. The other circumstance is just basically I think about one thing, and then I think about then another thought stream comes, and another thought stream comes, and they and just it's kind of like thought experiments playing out. I mean, I suppose you could call them different voices, but I don't identify them as different voices. I just identify them as different thought streams. I identify them as voices because they're, they're constructed using my language and my thoughts and and it is it's not it's not a, it's not an audio voice of course but it is a voice that's yeah. that that's talking and uses words yeah 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 and does it, and do you do you get the sense that it's um that they're do you get the sense that they're say they're is it you that's speaking it's or me, you feel me. like it's <laughs> it's it's Thoughts being beamed in from a pizza. No, no, it's uh, it's 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 me, it's me speaking. But you know that's true. That like you know, other people will sometimes have another the perception that it's not their voice that's speaking in their heads. Yeah, yeah I know someone who has that, and it's very accurate. Yeah, yeah. Which may be just another element of psyche. You know, like in this, it's a powerful machine. You know, and um. Who, who knows, like like how much of our conversation and our thoughts and theories, because it's not, can't be measured as such by a scientific metric, you know, how, who knows how much of it is us creating a fiction of truth based on the history of thought as we know it. Like it's a... Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, out of all the choices of ways to investigate it, where I've come to is... Is to is to really focus on the nature of awareness. Mm. That seems to be the constant, because you know, spend enough time investigating phenomena. What is a good decision and making good choices and taking action and and then 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 investigating well, you know, good thinking, and then and then investigating you know, emotions and so that they no longer kind of control the boat and then realising that actually, you know, following the rabbit hole, the rabbit back, it, it goes back to awareness and then the, no, then the notion of me is dissipates. And so, so that's what I'm interested in at the moment is the nature of the no of, of not me. <laughs> and do you, is that is that how you define freedom? Is embracing that not you, or understanding or being the not you? I think so. That's where I'm kind of leaning towards. Is that because there genuinely is when, when you're not coerced, when you're not pushed around to, to take to do this or that, or when you when you don't need anything. Like there's no craving for this. There's no aversion for that. You're not seeking something. There is no need for any of that in sitting in the nature of not me. There is none of that's necessary. And there's a genuine deep peace there and a freedom to choose. Like if I want to go for a surf, you know, or if, or if, or if someone... If I, someone says, I really don't like it when you do that, I go, oh, okay. 
or freedom to say, well, actually, I think it's important that I do do that and, and, I, and I'm going to continue to do that because of this, the freedom just to not have any resistance to things. And I think that's partly when the, let's call it the constructed me, starts to become a little, a lot looser, a lot more transparent to the nature of not me, let's say, you know, because not me doesn't have a boundary doesn't have a need, it doesn't have, it's not in any way, there's no need for satisfaction. There's no dissatisfaction. There's no satisfaction. It just is. And and so the, the, one, if the constructed me kind of starts to, all things start to resonate or become transparent to that, I think there is a, a sense of freedom in that. And I'm, I wouldn't say that I fully understand it or anything like that. It's, a, it's an ongoing exploration for, um, at the moment. So but I guess that's partly why I like these talks and because it helps, you know, to take that, to go on that journey. Uh, you, you, you mentioned before that you, um, you've been thinking about freedom a lot and, um, and what... Um, and I was kind of interested to to hear, you know, where you're at with that. I don't know. I started actually seeing a psychologist, a counsellor, yesterday, because I'm struggling because I'm I was free, and uh, so I separated from my wife. And we went through a divorce, and I lived in a stone hut on a river for three months, and killed people's wasps for cash, and then had to be responsible for assets and. So I came home and I worked as a butcher in a charcuterie for a little while before I started teaching in a prison. And so then I started to follow through on the concept of my search for freedom was somehow sympathetic to creating opportunities for hope for a better future with the students I was working with. But I found that as times passed and the jobs that I've wanted to do as far as settling property and working through and maximizing the value of assets and so on, that I've become fearful of the future. That now I'm, I'm, and that's why I admire what you've done because I feel defined by my property, defined by the fear of not having if I was to pack up everything and go on a journey. And so, look, I'm still, I'm still struggling with both what does the opportunity for freedom look like for me outside of fear? Mm. 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 Yeah. So, so <laughs> it's a journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think it's un- unpacking fear would help that. Right. Probably. Yeah. And, and seeing the truth of fear could t- dissipate the engagement with that phenomenon. Well, I see that that's what you've done in doing what you do. I know that you've taken a long time to set it up, to manage the risks associated with doing it, you know, and you've managed your fear of it through through that. But I've been managing other things and it just come up to a point now where those jobs are almost all done and I'm saying, mm, what does freedom mean? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is it at the level of phenomena? You know, is it having, not having, is it feeling this, not feeling that? Oh, you know? look, you know, it's ha- it's all of that. It's all of that mixed in, the having, not having. I um, used to deliberately do things that so, so, and maybe this is a sign that it's always, I've always been conscious of those fears. I used to say I don't want to make decisions where, I'm living into my death, you know, like I'm living the sort of life and making the sort of decisions to create the sort of hospital bed that I want to die in, you know, like, <laughs> like I want to get there. That's my goal. That's the goal of living. <laughs> you know, who's going to be gathered around? Am I going to have family? What's it going to look like? Like, you know, what's the ultimate goal in life? So I, I guess I've always been conscious of it, but maybe it's just manifesting itself now because I find myself now that I, I'm without a family, my kids are grown up, my wife's gone, I just left a relationship with a beautiful woman who I love very much, but 
we're at different times in our journeys. And um, and now I'm saying, well, I don't know. I don't know what freedom even looks like. I don't even know. For me, it, it seems to me, and I resonate with that. And really talking about myself here as well, is that whenever we often engage in that question, is where we're engaging. It's the constructed me that's the that's the engaging in it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't actually see an answer there. No, look, the, the, the watcher me just wants to look at the stars and hang out and go and do interesting things in interesting places. But the constructed me says, ah, just be responsible, will you, <laughs> for what's in your life. <laughs> if, if, I can be, if I can be challenging there and, and, and suggest that, that what you were calling the watcher me is also just another aspect of the constructed me, you know, because... What we would that exercise we were doing before, it, it, there isn't anything that to it do. wants. Yeah, there's no wanting. There is no, you know what I mean. And 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 and, and so, so then how the question is, how do you be? You know, when we're both, we you know, we have the constructed me, and and we and we have the timeless, ever present awareness of not me, how do we navigate, how do we exist in that? So I guess what I've been exploring is just sitting with the not me as much as possible. And that's not something that happens, you know, because you kind of wake up to that, you know, every, you know, an hour or half hour or whatever, you know, you know, it's not because it, it's almost like you get, it's like you're in the movie and you get sucked into the movie and you forget that you're sitting in the chair and then you wake up, oh, I'm sitting in the chair, oh, oh, this and the constructed me within this, you know. what? But it seems to me that whenever there's any discord, remembering the constant me, you know, not me, and experiencing that, there's instant peace. No matter what's going on in the world of phenomena, including thoughts, feelings, they're just they're, they're, they're other phenomena. Feelings are just other phenomena. And, you know, even while we've been speaking, I've been trying to come back to the centre of my mind and I actually feel a sense of peace with, the, with that me and I can recognise the observer being there uh, yeah. as, as, yeah. and it is calm. Yeah, yeah. And just becoming more and more familiar with that, then more and more aware of the nature of that or, or and, and in the sense of, you know, that it, it, it doesn't have any boundaries. There's no end to it. There's no centre. There's no other. But, no it, other. but in our world, the fire still burns and, you know, the, 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 the necessities of life still need to be met and that hospital bed is waiting for all of us. Yeah, but I, I think that, but I think that we... You know, while we talk about while we talk about being aware of not me, let's say, but yeah, exactly, we're still sitting here talking. It doesn't stop. the The flow of phenomena doesn't stop, and it's not as it's not as if it's an either or. It's it's probably just to me, it's being more present, more aware of what of more of what what is, creating more as more ability to flow with it and i'll give you an example i was surfing a little while ago and i was noticing that i had a mental construct that i'm sitting here because i'm wanting a particular wave with that shape to come here and i'm waiting for that concept right and i kept on waiting there waiting there i'm looking over there and seeing other guys getting waves over there and i keep on sticking to my concept right and then i, I realized hang on a minute i'm imposing I'm imposing a constructed template on this phenomena. And then, I, then I let that go. As soon as I let it go, it was like I woke up and I just my body just started moving and I was looking, looking and, and not thinking. And, re, and then I started to synchronise with what is and paddle to where waves were and I suddenly became in tune, right, because I let go of the constructed template that I was imposing on and that's basically what then I realized that's what we do all the time we, we have the constructed me 
puts a template onto every single experience and tries to manage it, right? And, and we think that that's the best way to deal with life and be sensible. But in actual fact, what we need to do is become more aware with that. With, take the filter off, more aware, and therefore more present, and there's more flow, and we can deal with the fire, we can deal with the hospital bed. There's no barrier, there's no, you know, a delusory kind of separation. That's so good. That's such a good, that's such a good analogy, metaphor, so good. Such a good metaphor for the, for the decision and the freedom of it. Hey, Michael, do you know that we've gone beyond our 40 minutes? <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. But I was I was enjoying our conversation. But you're right. We we should um we should bring it to a close. But I've really enjoyed I've really enjoyed our, our ramble. Yeah, no, it's been nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and, and so I really appreciate maybe we should even do it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love I'd love yeah, let's do it again. Absolutely. Uh happy to. Happy to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really, I really want Mobsy to come on. I know, but he said he wasn't. Um, he, he didn't want to do it because he doesn't. There's nothing. There's nothing important or interesting about his life, Michael. So he says, right? But so he says. But whenever you talk with him, he's just so interesting, isn't it? He is so insightful. He has got so many opinions. <laughs> no, but he is. He is pretty. Gone. Insightful. Yeah, he's insightful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but I'm so I'm just going to let, let's let's just bring it to a close, and I uh, just want to thank you for being being here and uh, sharing and engaging, and um, I really really enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, thank you, Michael. Like it's been a pleasure to come on, and I was uh, looking forward to a little bit nervous, but I've loved the conversation. Thank you, and I've learnt some. I've learnt a lot. That last metaphor blew my mind. <laughs> Me too, actually. I, I just love the awareness that comes from just exploring these things together. Yeah. 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 All right. Bye for now. All right. Bye.